Hello and welcome to another episode of Motor City Metrics here at TigersMLReport.com. I'm Rogelio Sales Simon's Chris Brown, Uper, and John. And you can find us on Apple Podcast or wherever you listen to podcasts. And uh, yeah. just first Thursday show in almost three weeks. But we had I had softball tonight at six thirty, and it was interesting because I was going to tell the story. I was waiting to tell the story on air, but last week we played a team. We lost twelve to one. We got her. We got her butts kicked. And there was a person on this team. She, I'll just call her softball Karen, for lack of better words. And she, from the outfield, one of our hitters, that was I think it was Max switched, Max or Greg, switched hitter, switched uh, positions. He went from left to right at the plate. And she said, "Oh, that's a rule. You can't do that." which I thought was strange because you're up 11 runs at this point. <laughs> and then as soon as the game was over, she emailed the ump, and the ump was a big fan of hers anyways, and she called us obnoxious. So today, they're playing after us, and I was chirping, hey, look, it's the obnoxious team. Look, you want obnoxious, I'll give you obnoxious. I'll swear in Spanish. I'll do whatever I to do the, the proof to myself that or proof to you that I'm obnoxious, but come on, it's was softball. the first purpose pitch in slow pitch softball history ever thrown. <laughs> Did you guys knock someone down? No, 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 no. <laughs> today's game was today, we just could not. The, the team we played today was fine. Last week was just obnoxious because it's just but beer league softball. I love the if anybody's watching us live on YouTube or who listens to our podcast on a regular basis, if you have a great rec sports story about somebody who's just an idiot or just somebody who's just like, come on, chill out, please email us at tigersmlreport at gmail.com. That'd be fantastic. I just want to hear people's stories about obnoxious people they've dealt with in softball. It can be hockey. There's purely hockey. Anything. I love to hear a good story about that because quite frankly, going back to the days when I used to play in out in Garden City, I could tell stories all day about that. And I, I, luckily for me, I don't manage anymore. Thank God. I don't want to manage a softball team anymore. But yeah, so we had a game at 630. And I was able to tonight. So on tonight's agenda, we're going to have, of course, the, the usual segments, the inside of numbers, the good, bad, the ugly, and the, the beautiful segment that. So I had a chat with, I was talking to a friend of the show, Corey, who is, who works, who works for, he works for, Vice, he, he's a boxing writer and he's a boxing commentator. And and you all know this guy on Twitter, Detroit Dan, they're Dan Klein, who is a fascinating, he's a Tiger super fan. And he does this entire, like, just, he always posts like these. It's funny because I'm not sure how Dan's standing sometimes because he drinks these drinks from Starbucks that the sugar content that are essentially. John, maybe if John had one of these drinks, I think John might be dead for the, all the sugar that's in it. And yeah, Detroit Dad's awesome, and he's a great Tiger fan. And we're gonna do a thirty-second segment every Thursday, and it's just him talking about. He buys jerseys too, just Detroit Dan checking in from the desert, nothing more, nothing less. Because, I, like I said, he's been a big follower of ours, and he's been supporting the show. And I don't know, it's because either Chris is getting accused of saying Torque sucks. Or we're too negative. Just I don't know. I don't know if I showed you the review we got on the minor league podcast, Uper, but 
One star. Old Christos has talked bad about Torque. True. It's true. We, it's one of our segments. He gets yeah. paid for um, words. Yeah. It's the urinal cake. The urinal cake <laughs> segment. <laughs> That's right. Hey, good evening. No, I, yeah. I, I've, I have, I have criticized such a Torkelson. I, I don't, some people might think it's unfair. I don't think I've ever criticized like his work ethic. The, my main issue is, is that I, I, I'm not sure if he can make adjustments quickly enough. He's been, he's been very good the last two weeks. There's no denying it. He's got like a, a 127 WRC plus the last two weeks that will play just fine. That's, that's that Reese Hoskins level that I thought he would get to. But yeah, I don't know. I like, that's fine. I, I criticize players. I, I try not to be mean spirited about it. I just, I, I expect a lot from first round picks and the first overall pick. Seems I, have a, fair. I, have a, I have a, I don't think I've dug a hole for Torque and buried him. I, I, whatever. I, I can understand everybody would be upset with me if I'm not supporting him 100%. That's kind of the way that I, I roll. Honestly, just, I think you're, you're fair and you're not too critical about it, but it is what it is. It's just, it, it just, I think people choose when somebody says something and, and particularly hyper focuses on it. There's just a lot of fans who want him to succeed so badly. Yeah. And they're just not, if they hear a lot of uh, an opinion to the contrary, they're just, they don't want to hear it. They have their binders on. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's no, no doubting that the, the immediate future of the Tigers depends on Torkelson and Green becoming good big league hitters. And yeah. for the last couple of weeks, they have been. I said Torque was 127. Green has been like a 204 WRC plus over the last two weeks. It's kind of, it's like a 550 BABIP, but we'll take what we can get. Yeah. I understand the criticism of people. That, 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 that. No, and again, it, but they're making progress, and so that's all you can count for, except for mm-hmm. yesterday against Rich Hill, which I, look, honestly, for whatever reason, this goes back a long time. It goes back to the days against Jamie Moyer, who had pissed, who pitched inspired against the Tigers because they let him sit in Toledo for an entire year and then bring him up when the Tigers had the worst staff, the worst pitching staff in the American League at that time. Fun fact. And for whatever reason, they didn't bring him up. So anyway, but Richel made quick work of the Tigers, and it's really a thing where you expected that a little bit because the Pirates were it was the first bad start by Erod. Tyler Alexander looks like he's I don't know if Tyler Alexander just it is what it is, but either way, the quest for 500 continues as they will start a three game series starting on Friday. We'll we'll break down the series and in, in that a little later. But I like what Tyler Matson said on YouTube. He said, it doesn't help that a huge portion of the fan base believe that Torque was the second coming through the entire, 21's, entire 2021 season. Warps everyone's perspective of him when he came up. And you're absolutely right. The, the organization hyped him up. Harris, Harris Fulmer was just like, hey, this guy's going to be automatically good. There's people on Twitter. There's people that were seeing it everywhere. And the Tigers had no backup plan to sign up another first baseman either. That's a lot of pressure on him. And yeah. Yeah, it doesn't help that they had Miguel Cabrera for the last decade or so. And obviously, we all remember when Miggy got his 3,000th hit, Spencer Torkelson hits a three-run home run, and everyone's like, this is the passing of the torch. But yeah, it doesn't help with that when people, especially we're accustomed to having Miggy at first base. And then you see number one overall pick, first baseman. I think people put unfair expectations on him. And and we have to accept some of that blame a little bit for, for always posting Highlights, we, we see it every time. Anytime we post, post a highlight, somebody wants that player to come up because we don't post them 
going over four with three ground outs to shortstop. Because <laughs> it's not fun. So people just think these guys are in see stats and thinking it translates to the majors and it takes time. So eh, whatever. But uh, it, it does seem like soft tossing lefties have bedeviled the Tigers forever. But I think, I suspect that happens to everybody. That's why soft tossing lefties are a thing. They exist. They've been around for a while. There are not many of them. They're not quite as rare as knuckleballers, but uh, there are these guys that, that just know how to get by on guile and movement and it's frustrating. Arms and arm angles and stuff. Yeah. It's frustrating as a fan to see that. And, and when they have one or two good games, it sticks with people. If you look up Bruce Chen against the oh, Tigers, God. yep. Bruce Chen's ERA against the Tigers is like five and a half. Yeah. He had a, a couple really out, good games. He shut him out a couple times in a, in a pennant race. And all of a sudden, Bruce Chen owns the Tigers. <laughs> yeah. It's just a matter of timing, too. It what was the cardinal pitcher in the World Series too? Was it the Anthony Reyes? Anthony Reyes was not. He wasn't a hard throwing lefty either, and he gave them fits. But uh, in terms of career wise, Bruce, I still amazed sometimes that he pitched for China, although he was from Panama, so that was interesting. But I just remember, especially against when the Royals were really bad. I know some of the, those teams he was on were terrible. Yeah, it was not an automatic win at all against some everybody else. The Tigers would be okay against, but for whatever reason, Chen can just go in there and just like just throw garbage, and, and he <laughs> could he could succeed. And it was just it's infuriating because the Tigers as a whole, I mean, they they faced them obviously because he's at AL Central. But in terms of how many home runs, how many home runs do you think the Tigers hit off Bruce Chen in twenty two games? Just uh, John, six. Chris. In 22 games? Yeah. 12. Uber. 14. Uber was the closest. 17. Ah. 17. And again, it, maybe just because of like perception thing, really, so in terms of against the Tigers' lifetime, 5.4 to ERA. He gave up 126 hits and 114 innings pitched, and it has a whip of a 1.42 Tigers' lifetime. He's six and nine. Nice. I guess the players. It's it's one of those things when when you see a guy throwing like barely cracking 90 or not even touching 90 and throwing these big loopy breaking balls, you feel like the the hitter should be destroying them. But he said, there's a reason those guys exist. There's it's, it's unique enough and they know how to pitch well enough just to keep big league hitters off balance. And that's ultimately, that's all that matters, right? We love to see guys with throwing 98 to 101 with a, 94 mile an hour slider, but it's, it's, just, it's about getting out. And, yeah. And Rich Hill did a hell of a job as oldest player in baseball, right? Yeah. yeah. You had the foot race between him and Miggy. That was, no, you know what else? It's not surprising Peach got thrown out because well, one thing I can tell you when you're behind the plate, it's frustrating seeing soft toss after soft toss on the corner, on the corner, on the corner, keep coming in there. And you don't get that fastball to hit. The whole rhythm of the game is different. And it's a frustrating thing. And it's tough on the umpire, too, because they're also used to fastballs coming in once in a while. And the rhythm that generates, making calls, you got to be so patient on those off-speed pitches. And he's throwing them so slowly for the batter and the umpire and catch everybody. I can see how tempers get a little flared on some of those calls on the corners with Rich Hill throwing. And I think Hinch did a good job getting out there before Haas got himself tossed. I have a, a question about that game, too. So Riley Green coming into that game was probably the Tigers' hottest hitter. Wasn't in the lineup, and then we saw there was a ball hit to Matt Reeling out in center. 
a, a ball he could have caught that he missed and two runs obviously scored, and that kind of set the tone for the game. Why do you think Riley Green wasn't in the lineup? Was it just as simple as Hinch didn't want him facing a lefty? Because I really didn't understand that. Honestly, probably because of that, and I know that people were really pissed. I know Jed, who's in our chat right now, was made a point to point that out, and I, I'm going to be rational here, folks. He can get a day off. I know it's against the Pirates. He does struggle against guys like that. But Matt Verling also, to be fair, outfield bias is, isn't big. There's a reason why he's in right. Who else are you going to put in center? I guess for me, John, it's it, just a whole set of factors. He hadn't had a day off in a while. He was facing a left-handed pitcher, so that makes sense. There's an off day coming up the day after. So now you can make it a nice extended rest for your best player. It's a long season. We're in the middle of May. The, when you look around baseball, guys get days off. And I know when a good player gets a day out, a lot of fans, especially they made time to watch the game, they want their best guys in the game. But that's just the sport. It's a long, long-ass season. And days offs happen. And Veerling, for, for Rodriguez, a couple of weeks ago, he pulled a... I guess the Indians, he pulled a home run back into the field. Okay. I, that was nice. He, he did that for Erod. Now he missed one yesterday, but I think that was a fairly tough play. And Jed said well, they have several, they have all days before and after the two game series. After t- today, they don't have an off, off day again till June 1st. So maybe they just plan on putting Riley Green the whole time. And uh, oh, oh, there, oh, Harrison, thank you very much. Exquisite. It's very nice. Exquisite. Oh, a double exquisite. Double exquisite. <laughs> Thank you, Harrison. Yeah, so one of the things, and, and, and I can bring this back to John a little bit. John, I know you love the NBA. And, and something that's happened over the last decade or so is, is that players just don't play every game anymore. Load they management. Like, yeah, they'll play 68 games a year or something like that. And that's to try to keep guys healthy all season and keep them healthy for the playoffs. Now, I don't know if that the Tigers really care that much about keeping Riley Green healthy for the playoffs, but I'm sure they want to keep him healthy all year. And also, it's baseballs. And Leland used to say this all the time. If I have guys on my team, I want to play them. I don't want them sitting for too long. So occasionally you, you look for a spot like, okay, where, when can Matt Beerling get a start? Like at center, basically. Okay, we've got a lefty going. And that also gets, they got Hospice in left field, right? You had, was Ibanez in right? Who was, who was short was out there. They had every righty on, on the team out there. Facing a, a soft tossing lefty, he thought that it would be a good matchup for him. <laughs> I don't think anybody predicted they would only get one hit. All game, but Five yeah, it's just one of it's one of those things that 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 happens when you're you're playing for it's a hundred ninety day season. You, you sometimes you just got to get guys in games and give other guys. And ultimately, I don't think it made a huge difference. And, and honestly, yeah, I feel like Matt Reeling probably could have caught that ball, but it, it's so tough to tell because we don't like Riley Green's a very good center fielder. We don't even know if he would have gotten to that. Really, they're, they're both. I think Reeling's a good deal faster than Green. I think their sprint speeds are both pretty high this year, though. So it's just, I don't know. I, I don't think it, it was that big of a deal. But uh, when, when you don't win, everybody goes, ah, why why we do this? Why do we do that? Why do we do like, like, And it's just like, all right, well, if you just played all the lefties and they lost, then people would be like, why don't you play more righties? Yeah, so, if it was like that type of game where there's really nothing positive to take away from, so you're just like nitpicking yeah. anything you got. Because they had one hit against the pitcher we expected to hit well against, and... Erod, who's been fantastic, finally came down to earth a little bit. They got blown out by the Pirates. Like, it was one of the worst losses of the season, honestly. Yeah, I mean, we could talk about the win. 
the game before yeah. that. Yeah, that was pretty fun. Yeah, yeah, I was gonna say that was a that was a fun win, and it was it seemed like one of those kind of like a complete win in a sense of just in terms of the offense and and the pitching and just Michael Lorenz looking really good, but you have the opportunity here to watch the Tigers go out and get production from everybody on the top of the order with the exception of Nick Maton went over two with a pair of walks, but there was Kinstreet with one for three, Riley Green three for four. So you had all the contributions, even Miguel Cabrera got in with the single, which we'll get to him in a second before we get to our segments. But overall, in terms of even pitching too, Will Vest, does not, we saw him early in Toledo. I don't know who that Will Vest was. I have no idea who that guy was. That is not the same. That's not the same pitcher. I don't know what what happened. Will Cardigan. Will Cardigan. <laughs> I don't know who that Will Will Best was. We saw early in Toledo that was barely touching ninety three and was just looking lackluster. He is. He looks better than he did last year. He just came out there and just has looked great since he's come since he come since, since Toledo. And so again, showing that spring training even like and just take some pictures. Maybe he's a little while to get used to, but. Yeah, the bullpen, it was three scoreless innings. It was a great victory. But again, they had to take advantage of the schedule. The Pirates, by the way, came in just getting Nick. They, they were just getting pummeled by teams over 500. And the Tigers get another reprieve when they take on the Nationals this weekend. So I, again, they got, I was, I was found to split. And the reason why is because I know with Rich Hill, guys like that, they always tend to struggle. If they come out of these five games going three and two, that's fine. You want you want to get greedy, but you're playing 600 baseball or whatever. I think you'll you'll be happy over the course of the season. So you, you do want to beat up on the the teams that are totally bad, but they get paid too. So you do what you can. Yeah, and so the reason why I was bringing up Miguel Cabrera was an interesting tweet today from a friend of the show. We've had him on the podcast, Mike Petrello of MLB.com, and. It was an interesting tweet because I, I retweeted it. I thought it was fascinating. I'm going to pull up here. I'm just pulling it up right now. And basically, he was saying that what if Biggie got the the Mike Schmidt treatment? Because he walked away beginning of the season in May of 1989 because he wasn't being Mike Schmidt anymore. Mike Schmidt was, for a decade, one of the best third basemen in the National League. Just power consistency and Miguel right now is not having a good year and a lot of the fans I hear people call in on 97 on the ticket and say he's out of shape and he's fat I'm just I'm so sick of hearing that stupid narrative first and foremost you do clearly don't pay attention to baseball like if if he's fat quote unquote then what what is Matt Stairs then what is who's another big dude that played Lance Lynn Cow yeah Lance Lynn yeah I have to read that article that Cody put in there. Good, oh, good yeah. call. By the way, Cody, 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 <laughs> by the way Cody had a Cody had a two R two RBI double in our game today. So oh, nice. Yeah, you know, softball team. Go ahead. I was gonna say Dan Vogel back. No, that's oh Vader back. That's yeah. That, thank you. That's yeah. That's who I'm thinking. Of. That Cody is a Puckett's husky gentleman. Puckett was Puckett was like like a Barry Sanders fat though, like yeah. super just because he could jump and run. He sure, just yeah. was a little short squat. Yeah, there's there's different like Prince Fielder was a big old fella. Miguel Cabrera has been big since he was like 26. Yeah, or maybe even younger. Like his size is not an issue now. Yeah, he, he was great when he was large. He's everybody gets bigger when they're older. David and Ortiz. David Ortiz. Yep. And here's another thing too. It's 
talk about the effort kind of thing. It's like all he's doing is, is on muscle memory. Like every day when I was down there, he is sore. He is you saw him field third base, he can still do it. I don't know any fat guys that can play third base. I'm not saying he plays third base on Mo Vaughn, it's another one good one. But it is what it is. He knows his skills are diminishing. It's not like he's going out there doing this on purpose. And then somebody was calling him out, like, oh, he's going out there smiling. What do you want him to be pissed? You want him to be sad? What what the hell is wrong with you? He yeah. The, one of the things we've everybody's loved about Miguel Cabrera is how much he loves baseball and how much he enjoys himself while he's out there. And like, oh, suddenly he's smiling. Ah. You, you like, can't smile. You can't be happy out there. Cameron, thank you. Cameron, yeah. the comment on YouTube, I was shape. Oh, try and be in shape with no cartilage in your knees. The guy literally, when he sits down, you can hear like audible pain. I've seen this. I'm not, if I didn't see this, I would probably, no, I still would be, I wouldn't be, excuse me, I would still be mad at some of the calls that come in. First and foremost, it's, if you're going to call in with that kind of take, get out of here. It just, anyway, my point is, I think if he, look, would you got, here's a question for the room then. If Miguel Cabrera decided to retire today, just because he felt like he wasn't up to his ability, would you hold that against him at all? No. No. No, no I, I think it's like an easy answer, but some people would, I just feel like some people would just go, he's a quitter. That's what he does. And Yeah. So I think. Do. So people that are mad, I, I don't understand. Do you think he's like holding the team back in any way? Do you really think, let's say, if you take his him and this thirty million dollar contract off the books, do you really think they're they're we're gonna add a thirty million dollar player this off season and suddenly this is a playoff team? Like I don't see how he's holding this team back in any way. I I just don't understand why people are upset. I it just doesn't make sense to me. Where are you guys well, Oh, no, he's not there. Then you, you can, a healthy Carpenter or a healthy Meadows would be your gauge sometimes. And Malloy might be up there. There are ways to get slightly better, I think, a win or two. But it's, yeah, I, I don't think they would have gone out and signed Carlos Correa with $30 million or something like that. No, the one, the one idea I saw somebody say, and I thought it was like, hey, that's interesting. Just make him, have him retire, make him a bench coach immediately. And then suddenly Miguel, he gets to go, he's still getting his farewell tour. He gets to go and get his gifts everywhere. And he's just not playing. But he wants to play, and he is making the money, so they're not going to cut him, and he's not going to retire. So they're just trying to find spots for him to play once or twice a series. It's just going to be that way until he probably will get hurt again, unfortunately. Or, or yeah, I, I don't know. If he's hitting, like, 0.85 in July, they may just sit him down. But it's it's just the way it is right now. He's earned the right, at least in the eyes of ownership, right, to play as long as he wants to play. And they're going to let him finish this out. He's having a good time. They've bestowed all this money on him. He'd be crazy to walk away in the eyes of many. That's why he's still here. He's doing what he can do. But just because he's smiling doesn't mean he's not trying. I mean, he's working, I'm sure, to succeed. But it's just not there anymore. And it's just the sad thing that this contract was always a legacy deal. It was a thank you for what you've done. It was never designed to end well. The odds of it ending well were always very low. Okay. David Ortiz had a wonderful send-off, but he is the vast minority. Most guys break down at the end. He's having the Mike Schmidt. He's having the Willie Mays end to his career. And that's okay. It doesn't tarnish anything he's done in the past. He's still going to be a Hall of Famer. He's still going to have a statue in center field. He's still the greatest hitter I've seen in my adult life. We're the Tigers. 
is he holding this team back? Yeah, I, again, I thought it was a 67-win team. I'm still not convinced it's not a 67-win team. So if they're going to give him 200 more at-bats, that's fine. But I think Chris is right. I have a suspicion, you know, at some point mid-July, I know that's a very distinct possibility. Yeah, I think I've gotten to the point with him. He was a player I obviously grew up watching. And over the years, I've obviously wanted him to keep playing. But I've come to the point now where I've just accepted that he's not helping this team anymore. I don't know if other people feel that way because they don't have the same, maybe they have the same connection that I do with him because he was obviously growing up on those teams with Miggy in the middle of the order. I'm at the point now where it's honestly just sad watching him play because it's just, he's not really helping the team much at all. And I think the Tigers are going to be better off without him. And I can't believe I'm saying that because I would never thought in a million years I would want Miggy off this team, but it's gotten to that point. I think the contract was signed by Mike Illich. Mike Illich is one of the few owners who probably would have made that contract two years early, right? Because they could have waited two more years, gotten two more years of data on him and how he's going to progress as he ages. And he still would have taken that. Every, anybody who was sane would have taken that contract two years later. They didn't have to offer it to him early, but that's who Mike Illich was. He was a loyal guy, loved Mickey, wanted him around, and was willing to say, hey, the end's going to be ugly. I don't care. Plus, he wasn't, probably wasn't going to be around to see it anyway. Tyler, I like this comment here by Tyler. His dad once said, yeah, contracts go really combust in 2020 when he's horrible in his old hobbled age, but you hate it if he retired in a Yankees hat. And it's true. We would we would just be every Detroit, oh, he's a Yankee. And he, it definitely would happen. And the thing is, you know what? And Walter and Jed both bringing this up in YouTube. Jonathan Scope is a big biggest issue right now. They, they have to do something. Like it's, it, it's to the point now where his defense is, you know, you can, you can't excuse the defense. There has to be something to be said. And so you can't go on and get, you can't get it going against one of the worst teams in the National League. I don't know. You have to look at Justin Henry Molloy's numbers again. But Molloy had a good, has had a good week. But again, as we talked about this on Monday, is that is he going to be a guy that will be can step in and contribute right away? And the answer for that is I don't know. Because, again, that adjustment from AAA to major league level is totally un- and I still think he has a problem with sliders. And Chris and I talked about this last week on the minor league side of things. It's if he calls up and then he struggles, and everybody's just going to complain about that. So I just think they're <clears throat> not complain, but I don't think he's going to. He could hit the crap out of the ball. Who knows? But the one thing in his favor, Raj, is and if, if you viewed it strictly as scope out and Malloy in, Malloy has only has to do better than nothing. Because Scope is giving them nothing. No, no, no. Good point. Yeah. Good, good, good point. You're absolutely right. He has a low barn across. Yes. And in, in that in that, that rough game against Pittsburgh yesterday, Scope didn't make a couple of plays on defense. He made a couple of mistakes on defense. One of them was uh, he fumbled the ball on a, a double play. Yep. And the other one, that was the rough one. And and the other one was, I don't necessarily blame him as much for that one. That uh, the, I think second base was on his way and he missed the yeah. half. But still, that led to a gigantic inning. Both of those plays, it was all part of that that inning, and yeah, part of that is probably not playing every day. But when you're out there, you gotta make the plays, and he didn't. And I was, I was, and I was contemplating writing an article about this, and I was doing the, the math on it or whatever. And I don't know how much the Tigers care about Super Two status, but I think Malloy will clear Super Two threshold 
on the 27th or 28th. So in, in about eight, nine days, at which point, I don't know if, if that's what's keeping him down there. Like you might as well keep him down to pass that now because you haven't brought him up yet. So that, that could be that series against the White Sox. That could be the end for Jonathan Scope. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, I think that was my question I was going to ask. The only other thing I could add is maybe they're just waiting for Carpenter to get back, and maybe once Carpenter's back, they'll, they'll cut ties with Scope. But I think Malloy right now is the, the guy they're looking at. But then again, they would be down an, an outfielder. If they cut Scope, they'd be down an infielder. So I think that... They well, could have Beerling who can play the infield, right? Yeah, but they haven't, he hasn't played the infield yeah. yet. So I don't, I don't think they're hurting for infielders because they've yeah. got they've, they've got McKinstry, they've got Abanez playing well, they've got Maton who can play second base, they've got Short right now. They, they've got a bunch of guys who can play second base if they need them, if they're just putting Malloy at third. Yeah, I don't know. I think a lot of some of it may be that I should do them for Malloy. Some of it may just be that they don't want to cut a guy who they're paying seven million dollars or whatever. Like yeah. you just like no, I don't want to. I don't want to waste all that money. I'd rather keep having him play poorly. And it's a shame because I, I was like, oh, from 2021 was, I had a 111 WRC plus. He was an above average offensive player. And in the last two seasons, it's been like 50. It just, <laughs> bat has just completely evaporated. And it's, it's, it's like swinging a pillar of smoke up there. I don't, I don't know what's going on. I don't know either. And it's, it could be a mental thing as far as that goes. And again, I wouldn't, be surprised if it maybe was a super two thing. Yes, the money value, but then at the same time, if the Tigers come out of the series, like it's the Nationals, then they, it's weird, they crisscross. So they go to Washington, they go all the way to Kansas City, and then they come home to Chicago. If they come back over, they have a good successful series road trip. And let's say they're a game or two out of first place of the, of the Minnesota Twins. Then you would have to consider going into June, they're in a division race. Again, division race. Because you look at the AL East, by the way, all five teams are 500 in the AL East. That's how bad the AL Central is. That's how terrible it is. And honestly, at that, honestly, to me, I'm almost like, Chad, with the comment in here, they should be paying me $7 million to watch John <laughs> Scope. And Scope is, like I said, it's, look, I'm always the type of person that waits the last minute. I want to be optimistic to a certain extent. But I think at this point, change is necessary because even with Nick Maton struggling, they need to get some sort of offense production because when the offense, you see what happened yesterday. When the, the bats like Green and Torque are put to sleep, they, it's bad. It's really bad. And you have to see Akil Baldu generate something. But it's, again, it's just going to be ugly if they don't do something quick. All right, it's now time for Inside the Numbers. And. All right, super. I'll have you talk about today. What is your inside number? My number is 31.37%. 31.37%. Oh, you want to pause there, Uper. That was nice. <laughs> 31.37% of runners who are on first base in the Major League Baseball this year are going to third base on a single. That oh. is the highest number since 1996. And what that comes from, most people believe is getting rid of the ship. There's a bigger hold between first and second base now. When a runner's on first and they're holding the runner on, and there's, there's so many stolen bases in baseball now, 
The second baseman is shading towards second often. So there's that big hole. The, the shift used to take care of a lot of that. And now runners are going from first to third. And I think it's noticeable as you watch the game. There's just more action. So I think that's one of the positives of the rule changes. And it seems like a simple thing, a runner going first to third more often. But that's a fun part of baseball. So hopefully that continues. All right. John, what's your inside the number? So I got just a couple numbers on Spencer Torkelson. I was looking at his stats. So Torkelson's hard hit percentage is up 5.3% from last year. Last year was 41.8. This year it's 47.1. His K percentage is down 4%, 24.5 last year, 20.5 this year. And then his walk percentage is down 2.6%, 9.2 last year, 6.6 last year. So I think what's that, what's that is showing is there's been progress. Now it hasn't been to the extent maybe some fans have hoped, but is expecting batting average 268 has been a lot better in the month of May. OPS is around 800, a little bit under 800, which is, I think a lot of people would be happy with that if he could continue that. And yeah, I think he's been a little bit unlucky. And I think the numbers are suggesting that hopefully he can take a little bit more walks, but yeah, I think Torkelson, there's been progress that's going to be made. And I think we're going to see that continue as the season goes along. So did you say the strikeout rate is down from 24 to basically 20%? Yeah, four, down 4%. Wow. So basically, that's like a 16% drop in strikeout rate. And that's significant, I think. Definitely. Yeah. Go ahead, Chris. Sorry. No, you see it with, I, I take a 4% drop or a 2% drop in walks for a 4% drop in strikeouts if it means a 5% gain in hard hit rate, like John said. So yeah, it's he's, he's came into this year obviously trying to be more aggressive and it's taken a while for it to work, but, but yeah, it's, it's, it, things are trending up right there. So that's good to see. Uh, or Chris, what's yours? So mine's in the number is 283, 283. That is the number of singles hit by the Washington nationals this year, which is by far the most in baseball. The angels are number two at 266. Like the difference between the, the Nats and the Angels is like the same as the difference between the Angels and the 20th team. The Tigers are 25th at 15. But it's just odd because they're, they're, they're 27th in doubles and 29th in home runs, three, three by the Tigers. And they're dead last at ISO at 108. So the Nationals put the ball in play and get a lot of singles, but they don't do a lot of damage. So it'll be interesting that, that the Tigers have been pretty good on defense this year, aside from their occasional debacle inning, like one against Pittsburgh, one against. Cardinals, so that wouldn't be shocking to see a bunch of double plays this weekend. You just send those stats to Matthew Boyd. He's going to be so damn happy. Yeah. You don't yeah, hit home runs. runs. Maybe, yeah, it's the immovable force versus the uh, irresistible yeah. object. <laughs> yeah, I, I just thought it was wild. Like the, the Nets, you don't think of them as a terribly often. They're just poking singles left and right. Yeah, it's a classic 1960s, the classic National or National League baseball from that, from that perspective. My number this week is 86, and that is the percentile rankings of Jason Foley when he pitches. And the reason why I point that out is because last year it was 63, and this year so far already it's at 86. And Foley's a 6'4 guy, so he's getting he's getting max extension on that, and that's what's causing a lot of issues like in terms of his pitching for when he's throwing his sinker, which is, again, hasn't been touched. He's got 11 strikeouts on it. And that's the other number one I wanted to bring up was two. So that is the, the number of strikeouts he's got with his changeup. You saw he's got any 
his slider is kind of a setup pitch, but this is an example of Chris Fetter mad lab, lab labbing it or whatever you want to call it, just getting the maximum out of the, his pitchers out of the bullpen. So again, even with his sinker being his put mean his change of getting a thirty six percent whiff rate again, setting up everything else. It's just it's good to see. Like when you look at, for example, people can look at the number and say, if we're I'm trying trying to like say if you look at his numbers and say, oh, some people are batting 375 against his pitch or something as an example. Okay, then look at the whiff rate of it. Pay attention. Look at the look a little closer. You realize that that no one's doing anything against that pitch, and he still hasn't given up a home run on anything. So my point is, is that extension just getting that max like that, just using every single. Like, you know, you go hunting and you don't use every single spare part. I know it sounds like a very weird analogy when I'm going with this, but it's nice to see Tigers getting everything out of the bullpen arm and Jason Foley. And again, the bullpen, I haven't been on on Thursday in a while. So that being said, I'm just, I'm just stoked to see that they've been able to get what they get production out of. All right. So let's go, let's move on and the good, the bad and the ugly. And I know that's my should I again I have not had a chance to change it to actually I like this the better anyway. All right, so Chris, what is your good and the bad yoga this week? All right, so my good is young Mr. Jackson Holiday. If you've been paying attention to to what he's been doing, the first overall pick last year, he uh, he started the season in low A, as as you might expect for a high school kid taking first overall last year, but he hit his way out of there in thirteen games. He batted three ninety two. 523, 667. That's an 1190 OPS. So they sent him to high A Aberdeen, which is pretty advanced for a first year player. Uh, and after 18 games, he's hitting 391, 500, 719 <laughs> for a 1219 OPS. I haven't checked to see what he's done tonight, but his last two games, his nine plate appearances went like this home run, double, triple, triple, single, single, double, triple, line out. He does, he does not turn 20 until December. It is not out of the question that that he makes the double A by July. Oh, it's good. Yeah, yeah, and and he looks like he's twelve, but at least in the face, he's rosy cheeked and looks. Yeah, yeah, he looks like he's going to be a monster. So I think I read somewhere he had the five street barrels in that streak you talked about. Yeah, it wouldn't shock me. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he's and he's guy. He's got speed. He's playing shortstops. It's oh yeah, he's he's been awfully impressive so far. Like I said, I didn't check to see what he did tonight. So maybe he went over four. But that's my good. My bad. This one kind of shocked me when I was looking around earlier. The Atlanta Braves defense. And I, I can't lie. It's not like I've been watching Atlanta to see if they match the eye test or whatever. But I was I was looking over at his baseball savant. And they are the worst team defense by far. According to outs above average. They are negative 19 outs above average right now. The next worst teams are Baltimore and Cincinnati at negative 13. So they're like 50% worse. And StatCat says it cost them 15 runs. just five more than any other team. And the, the big problem seems to be the infield, where you got Austin Riley at negative four, Vaughn Grissom at negative four, and Ozzie Albies at negative five. But the worst defender is somehow Ronald Acuna Jr. at negative six, <laughs> which is absolutely bizarre to me, considering how fast he is, how strong his arm is, what a talented athlete and player he is. So I don't, I don't know what he's closing his eyes in the outfield. I don't know what could possibly be happening there. 
I thought I read somewhere where he got his his ratings on on the jumps he gets isn't great. That could yeah, it could be it. Maybe he thinks he's fast enough to catch up to everything. Negative six runs for an outfielder or negative six outs above average for an outfielder already. Sounds that's that's outrageous. This is we're a quarter way into the season. That's like DH <laughs> level defense. And and my ugly, my ugly would be Trevor Bauer's performance in Japan. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Bauer is a pitching for the Yokohama Baseball. And his first start was fine, as you might expect for a former Cy Young winner pitching over in Japan, the, the second best professional league in, in baseball. But his last two starts an absolute garbage. Seven earned runs in each game. His last start was seven earned runs on eight hits with just one strikeout in two innings. He currently owns an 8-4-0 ERA through 15 innings, having allowed 26 hits in five home runs. That's just a tough break. A tough break. I feel bad for him. Not at all. No, I was just I know you don't. <laughs> Bro, what's your good and bad deal this week? My good was a pretty easy one this week. Colt Keith and the Detroit Tigers minor league system. One of the games for the ages. That's the game he'll never top in his lifetime, most likely. Who would? Two home runs, two singles, double and a triple for the cycle, the cycle plus, the mega cycle, whatever name you want to give it this week. It was really fun to sit there and listen that night while the Tigers were playing. Uh, every time you refresh Twitter, Colt Keith had gotten another extra base hit. By the way, real quick, Uper, I felt so bad because Chris was getting the clips, and I told him to take the next nine off because it was literally yeah. every stu- every five seconds. I'm not kidding because we we started getting getting notifications, and I'm just like, what the- I was it was like every just that whole Thank entire first three innings seemed like it was went for hours. Yeah. That day was that day was was bonkers. Just about every prospect in the Tiger system hit a home run or had yeah. hit something. Twelve home Camp, runs. Campos, Pacheco, you had Dingler, you had Parker Meadows, you had Lipsius, you had yeah, oh, Keith going absolutely yeah, it was it was wild. And then last two days they've done nothing. <laughs> That's crazy. It's Harrisburg of all damn teams, too. No, it, when when Keith was four for four, at that point he still didn't have the cycle, right? He hadn't had the single yet. But yep. he had, but if you just got a, if you went four for four and got a cycle, you got 10 total bases. At that point, he was four for four with 13 total bases. It was way better than a cycle. It just wouldn't be as, wouldn't have the sexy name to it. <laughs> uh, it was really one of those amazing nights and good for him. That was, yeah, not to interrupt one more time, but when oh, yeah. Rogelio, Rogelio and I went out to Erie to begin the year, we were at a game where Gage Workman needed a double for the cycle. And sure. instead he had another, he had another home run. <laughs> it was like, ah, no cycle, but uh, I, I know it's, it's so wrong. You can't say you hit for the cycle when you do that. You should have just, yeah. all he had to do was what? Miss, miss third. And you would have got yeah. credit for a double. Yeah. But I think, <laughs> I don't think you cared that much, but my bad, we already talked about it. It was Jonathan scope. We, we, we look at the, he's sitting 206, 275, 254 slug. And I was, so I won't spend much time on it, but yes, the biggest thing now is if he's not providing elite defense, why be here? The the play that he dropped at second base was a double play. Um, that really hurt. It was not a transfer. He definitely dropped it. Last Friday with Boyd pitching, another double play. He gets onto that inning and the, the score is tied, but he couldn't make that play either. It was a hot shot. It wasn't easy. But, man, if he's not going to hit, you've got to convert that play, and he hasn't done it. And I agree with Chris. The umpire kind of screened him on another one. Nobody's fault. But again, you would like to see him make that play if possible. Yeah, it's time. You cannot see Jonathan Scope as being any part of the future. They couldn't make a convincing argument of that. 
So there's, they might as well eat the money and move on. So we got the good, the bad. My last one, I said the ugly is the glovey. In terms of gloves, we talked a lot about Eduardo Rodriguez, uh, how well he's pitched, and he certainly has. It's been fantastic. But I was looking at Sports Information Solutions. That's run by John Dewan. He's one of Bill James's guys. They analyze all defensive plays. Before yesterday's start, Eduardo Rodriguez had the second most, what they rated as good defensive plays behind him on the season in all of MLB. So when you factor in, when you talk about how well Rodriguez has been pitching, Detroit defense has been a big part of that. So interesting that his day got off on a bad note when a play didn't get made behind him to illustrate what defense has been doing for him. That was, I thought it was an interesting note because the Tiger defense does feel better to me this year without having looked it up a lot. What about you? All right, so my good is the Dodgers. I was thinking about this the other day. I remember in the offseason, a lot of people doubted the Dodgers. They lost Trey Turner. They lost Justin Turner. Didn't have the offseason you were accustomed to for them, losing big free agents instead of going out and, and getting big free agents. So far, the Dodgers are 8-2 and two in their last 10, 28-16 at the top of the NL West. And I think the lesson I've learned is don't doubt the Dodgers because no matter what, it seems like they always have someone waiting in the wings, whether it's James Outman this year. Michael Vargas has also been a contributor for them. Their pitching's still good. They still have a really good farm system with guys like Bobby Miller. Don't doubt the Dodgers. I, I heard a lot of people picking the Padres to win this division. The Dodgers got off to a little bit of a rough start. The Dodgers are going to be fine. They have a great farm system. Shohei Otani's going to be a free agent this offseason. I think that's my number one destination for him right now. The Dodgers, they're going to be fine. They're going to be in the playoffs, and I think they have a pretty good chance of winning this division. My bad connected to the Dodgers is the Padres, 20-24 and 24 on the season. I don't know. You look at the big names, they got the big names. Juan Soto, Bogarts, Tatis, Machado, but they don't have the depth. Their pitching depth is really, really questionable. They've had Nick Martinez, who I didn't even know was a starter. I thought he was a reliever. He's been starting games for them. Joe Musgrove has been injured. He hasn't been very good. You've got Hugh Darvish, who's getting up there in age. Blake Snell's been really inconsistent for them. And their farm system's pretty depleted, obviously, with the trades that they've made. They're playing Nelson Cruz. I don't know. Are they still a playoff team? Yes, but it's been pretty disappointing to see the start they've been off to. Like I said, I think they can turn it around. For the star talent that they have and the money they've spent, 20 and 24 is pretty disappointing. I'd say probably the most disappointing team so far. And then my ugly, I got a couple. It was just Jose Abreu hasn't hit a home run in 164 at-bats. I don't think anyone saw that coming. I really don't know what's going on there. I still believe in him as a, as a player and as a hitter. Trace Thompson, I, has Trace Thompson not been good for the Dodgers this year? No, been very bad. He's, yeah. He dropped off the face of the planet again. Um, well, See, Tiger fans? Relax. <laughs> the Dodgers have been okay. Abreu has been kind of Jonathan Scopey in terms of slash lines. <laughs> He's one of the handful of hitters with a lower WRC plus than Nick Maton. Yeah. I, I think he can still turn it around. I, I think he could have a week where he maybe hits a couple home runs. But it's been interesting to see. I, obviously, he came over. The White Sox was the only team that he knew. I don't know if it's just having trouble adjusting to a new team and or what's going on there. But he's hit his whole career. I don't really know if I expect this to continue for him. 
And then just my bonus ugly would be the Pistons getting the fifth overall pick. <laughs> I did post my reaction, but I did. I don't know. My reaction, if anyone saw it, it was completely like pure. That was honest. I just like lost control of myself for a little yep. bit. So I, I usually don't like act like that. I try to keep it pretty mellow, but I just I kind of lost there. But yeah, interesting, interesting. And that was an interesting day. What I what I say on Monday? What I say on Monday? Say to get the pick. It's oh, weird. I, it's weird. Yeah, I knew it's that. It's weird how the team with the most famous French basketball players ever end up with the best French basketball prospect ever. Yeah. Yeah. Weird. That's crazy. That's crazy. That's crazy. Um, they were due. Right so. now. Now, I know how these things are rigged, probably. But I remember the process of, of doing this is, is a lot more complicated than I think J.J. Cooper wrote a story about being in the room for the baseball lottery and how. It just it didn't make any sense to me how it worked. I'm like, oh, I thought they just drew ping pong ball. But you have to do it's like a combination of 10 numbers. And yeah, that was a huge bummer for all Detroit sports fans. But I, I joked about it the day before that morning. I was like, who the, who the person's going to take with the fifth pick? Because it's, it's, you're, you're playing with fire when you're relying on the lottery in any sports. The Red Wings have never moved up to the lottery. The Pistons have had lottery luck once, basically. Maybe twice with the, the, the Darko pick way back in the day. And then they use it on Darko. Tigers me, got some lottery luck this year. And you know what? Damn good year to have lottery luck. So, hey, there's some of that. As long as they don't screw it up. But uh, I don't think they're going to screw it up. But but the Blackhawks getting the number one pick was pure nonsense. That was just, come on. It's it's the same thing as the cold envelope, i.e. Patrick Ewing in 1985. The cold envelope. Well, it's just, it's, it is hard when LeBron James ends up with Cleveland. It's like, yeah, how, how do we not view this as being so, like some sort of, but. Yeah, Orlando Magic getting the lottery pick back to back to build up pretty quickly in, in the 90s. Remember that? The Magic got two number like, top drafts. Yeah. Shaq like, and Penny. Shaq. Yeah. yeah, Shaq. And then they, they took Chris Webber and then traded him for Penny. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, is, it always makes you raise your eyebrows, but I don't know. They're trying to prevent tanking and it's not preventing tankings. Yeah. Teams take all the time in every sport still. So I guess you're just kind of like the A's. Remember the A's had, I think, one of the three best chances to get the first pick last year, and they fell to sixth, I want to say. Yeah, and, and this is this is like a five-player draft or four players at the top. So that's that was a real punishment for them. It's not going to oh, yeah. stop them from playing terrible. They, they put together one of the worst rosters ever this year. Yeah, and A's are getting rewarded for being bad by going to o But even the Vegas thing, that's not even a done deal. And uh, it's ridiculous, but... There's tanking everywhere, and it's just, yeah. yeah. The best teams don't have to tank. Look at the Dodgers, the Rays. You don't see them. When was the last time they tanked? They don't. Well, you don't, they don't tank. Have... It's hard to tank no, in well, baseball, but it's just like. The, the Orioles did it. The Tigers were doing it. You, you've seen the, the Cubs and the Astros did it. Like, you mean the, the Orioles who purposely did not spend any international money? No, I, I don't think they were tanking at all. Yeah, in well, the years when they, they lost 100-plus games multiple years in a row. But they also got talent every which way. And the uh, Tigers tanked and then did not work so good. Uh, <laughs> Crazy. But I don't know. One of the things, this is neither here nor there, but it was like a little thought exercise we were having in the Discord, which was where would Spencer Torkelson and Casey Mize go in this year's draft? <laughs> we haven't discussed the draft at length on the show, but in my opinion, I think Tork would probably go somewhere between three and five, and Mize would be like six to nine, something like that. So just to give you it's an idea of, of how strong the top of this year's class is, I think Myers will probably go towards the end of the first round. I don't, I don't know about that. 
If you're you're comparing, he still had a great junior year for Auburn. So you're talking, okay? So you're talking about his junior year, yeah. Based off that, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, not, not like in hindsight. Just, just oh no, no, in, 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 not even. In, I was just thinking though, not even for hindsight purposes, but I just thought that maybe I still think like 15 to 20, only because just simple. Yeah, his numbers are great, but I have noticed a trend with pitchers who are seniors; they're not getting drafted as high as they once were. So that's why I thought because based off that trend, that's the only reason why I thought yeah. it would go middle or towards the end. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I still think he would have schemes is on another planet right now, but but Dollander has fallen off the map a little bit. So you, you'd have a junior Casey Mize with good stuff and good numbers and a strong track record. He probably, I think teams would feel comfortable taking him as a safer pick in the, yeah, maybe five to 15 range. But yeah, it just goes to show you, like I said, it, it's it's telling how, how strong the top of this year's class is when, when those guys would not probably sniff the first overall pick. Uh, right. speaking, speaking of the draft, a couple of mock drafts out this week. Got, and I know it's, it's early and people making the mock drafts admit it's early, but two of them have the Tigers on Walker Jenkins right now. Yeah. Which is interesting. O- over Wyatt Langford. And then our, our buddy Harris just tweeted out that, that uh, hey, don't be surprised if the, the Pirates take Wyatt Langford number one. That's my it, guess. It's, it's like Langford's stats are not that far off from crude, honestly. Right. They're both hitting over 400 and hitting in the SEC with power. It's nuts. But, yeah, it does feel like a year where you just take the guy who's the best player. Yeah, who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? But, yeah, it's like Walker Jenkins, that's the thing is is people just they, they think, oh, it's a high schooler. Take the college guy. He's quicker to the majors. And, and we talked about Riley Green versus J.J. Bleday last week. And what if you think Jenkins is a big Jackson Holiday level hitter? I was just talking about 20 minutes ago. Who's a guy who's going to make it to double A in his first first full season because he's that good of a hitter? Like, yeah, what's then? You, then you're taking the guy who might have more athleticism and more defensive ability. So, I don't know. It'd be, it'd be really fascinating this year. It's it's up on top of the the draft. And this stuff going to be, well, like I said, I think we'll save Mondays to be our second show of the week. Kind of go deep diving on draft. We'll probably, like I said, maybe on the second show too, but. Definitely do some more draft talk next time. So my yep. good this week. I'm, I'm sorry, Chris. I'm sorry. I was, I'm going to have an article about the outfielders in this year's class. Oh, awesome. Yeah. And I'll probably have something. I'm going to have a mock draft up for fan sided here probably by the end of the weekend. So my good this week, and it's a gentleman on the screen here, and that is one Anibal Sanchez who announced his retirement, I believe, today. And happy tours to a guy who... I was a, I was a, a big fan in terms of like fandom aside. I was a big fan of his stuff. I was a big fan of how he went out there and just it, his wind up and everything. And it just it was cool to see a colorful wind up like that. And just was a solid pitcher for the Tigers. And he he was under th- under five hundred to be fair with the Tigers, but then was towards the band band part of the run here. But I have more good memories than bad memories. And in six years. With the Tigers, he was just, I, I love watching him pitch. And he was, again, in terms of in terms of just overall clutchness too, his best season in the Tiger uniform was 2013. He had 6.1 war. He was fourth in the Cy Young Award running and just just a joy to watch. And um, ERA title that year? Yeah, I yeah. believe he won yeah. the ERA title that year, yeah. So, again, this is a team that, 
was Jim one of Jim Leland's best teams, and that was the team he lost to the two to the Red Sox. But thanks for the memories, as Walter said in the chat. But yeah, definitely Animal Sanchez is my good this week, and tip of the cap to him. And what he decides to do in retirement, I'm sure he'll be kick ass at it. Yeah, didn't he almost have the no hitter against the Twins? You guys remember that game? He took it into the ninth inning. Yeah, I, I know he had a, a paint close a couple times. I don't know if he also got foiled by Josh Harrison. He got Verlander. But he also had the, what, the 17th strikeout game? I, I yeah, feel like against the yeah. Braves. Yeah, I mean, yeah. He, he was, for that little period there, he was absolutely great. And uh, yeah, the 2013 Tiger team, arguably, arguably one of the three best Tiger teams of all time. Sigh. Yeah, don't <laughs> even get me started on that. Yeah, the 4Ks won inning against Boston. That was a good call there, Walter. My bad this week is Shoni Otani, and not because of what you might think. So over his last four starts, he's given up home runs, and he's been a he gave up three home runs against Baltimore. So in total, he's given up eight home runs in his last four starts. Hmm. So I don't think I would never have thought I put Shoni Otani in this category. I'm sure he'll snap out of it. One of the starts he did have against Balt against St. Louis, where he allowed two home runs. He struck out 13. <laughs> so even then, Otani was still dominant out there. And I think that one of the things that we can take really pride in is the fact that he can still go out there and match too. After all that, his ERA is posting at 3.23. So heading into the month of heading into the month of May, he had an ERA 1.85. That's when he's so that, that's my bad. My ugly is the Blue Jays and Yankees. That entire series is chippy. I like that they, they have a rivalry because some of the, it was just especially Domingo Herman wiping stuff off his hands. Come on, folks. It was pretty clear what he was doing. What were you doing that weird look for, Chris? What's the what was it? I'm trying to do Aaron Judge's side oh, eye. The Aaron, the Aaron, the Aaron <laughs> yeah. yeah, the Aaron Judge side eye. And it was just, it was, again, Thanks to John Boy Media, who has the ability to amplify anything of New York. And it was a story. It's a story regardless. But those Aaron I Doug eyes, I'm surprised. You know what? That should be a meme somewhere. It has to be a meme somewhere. I think it I think it has been, you know, when somebody walked past you or whatever. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it always gets amplified when it's the Yankees. Yeah. Well, and they're getting they're really getting a little picky too, and they were worried about where the third base coach was standing and that kind of stuff too. Yeah. The whole the whole situation was strange. But yeah, there was a, the Jays and them, it's just the, the entire time too, like there was, I think, what was it? The Jays manager called one of the Yankee guys fat and, and him and Judge and him and, I, I, I kid you not, I think Aaron Boone's the kind of guy that would go out on the street and fight. Like, I really believe that. Like when he was on ESPN, I never thought that. Like I thought he was like mild mannered, but holy cow, man. Like that guy is a red ass and yeah. there's nothing wrong with it. It's, I like his competitive nature. Those two teams do not like each other whatsoever, and it's been that way. And when you have that kind of – the Jays don't have John Boy Media behind them. So, unfortunately, that's just going to be the way it is because it's they're in Canada. And so, either way. But I thought it was fascinating. I thought that whole series was just – it was ugly in a sense because I wasn't – don't really miss – who won the series. Like, it was one of those things where – this is going to be a tight series between these two teams. And you walk away going, okay, if I'm an AL Central guy, which we cover a team in the AL Central, that's, they're, they're getting better.
but you come to find out that the Yankees did lose a series of Toronto, but would you know that? No, it was all about Aaron judge and this. I'm not even. Yeah. <laughs> I can't. So yeah. I, I, I'm with, I'm with Christopher. I missed the Jays title Tigers rivalry in the eighties. I miss a good it rivalry. Great. It was great. It was, it was, it got feisty too. Tony Fernandez broke his arm. Is that right? In 87. Towards the tail end of September. Yeah. Right? Somebody broke up a double play, right? It was a it was a school quote aggressive play, mm-hmm. and Blue Jay fans were pissed. Yeah, so, it's, so yeah. it feels it's it's just it's the most natural rivalry rivalry for the the Tigers. Like every time the Blue Jays come to town, thousands of angry drunken Canucks spill into Detroit and they're booing and throwing stuff on the field, and it's great. It's it's a it's a great atmosphere, and I would like that for for. Remember, we'd look into. Realignment at some point with an expansion, and we would want Toronto in there with, with the yeah. Tigers. Yeah, well, Major League that. Baseball has quite frankly told us that the Pirates are the Tigers' <laughs> natural rivals. I don't, I don't care about the Pirates. Like I, like I don't, I don't care. Like the the Jays to me, Jay fans are also the most well traveled too. They will. Yeah, I've talked about this numerous times. How they'll go through all their minor league games that like the people make vacations. And they'll they'll make a point of it. And I was talking to Corey, my buddy over at Vice, and Jay fans are they may not show it all the time, but they are very one of the most knowledgeable fan bases. They know their stuff, they know their players, and they are hard like heart and soul all the way through. And they come to Detroit and take over a ballpark. They did that even when we were at the I went to the game in Toronto and it was weird because I was always seeing Labat Blue everywhere. Now it's Budweiser, which is strange because that used to be a whole Labat town. Now it's Budweiser. And seeing the red and white just didn't strike a chord. It was just really weird. Anyway, yeah. If you see a game in Toronto, it's the Sky Dome is showing its age a little bit, but that's a fun place to see a game. And I would love to see a rivalry with that. But that is my ugly. That is my, that is my good, the bad, and the ugly for this week. And that concludes the segment. And before we move on, I or do I want should... what? You had me thinking about something. I was just, could you imagine a wild card series, three game set, Tigers and Blue Jays? Yeah, that would, that would be awesome. It would be, be it would be, it would be epic. But uh, for now we have to put that fantasy away and not think about it. Because then if we start thinking about it, we'll get all mad. Not mad, but just it'll be, it'll be sad, if you will. Without further ado, though, I wanted. To... I don't know if you guys can. Do you guys hear that? Or no. Mm. Oh, no. Okay. All right. I'm going to put this on a big screen here in just a second. But yeah. So. Without further ado, we're going to bring on, It's again, it's a tape pre-recorded segment, but uh, I wanted to bring on Detroit Dan because, again, guy's kind of like, I don't want to say the voice or anything, but he's an optimistic fan. We tend to get be called too cynical, we get too called too mean, but this, this gentleman right here is always positive, he's always upbeat, and you got you to gotta respect that because get some that. people... huh? Get set here, a new feature. Yeah, it's a new feature. Good we're trying, like I said, we're trying to do, we're trying to get some, a little bit of inter- different action. Without further ado, though, here is Detroit Dan. Oh, my good friends at Motor City Metrics. This is Detroit Dan, always rocking the D out here hey, in the Detroit desert. Detroit Dan, always hey, rocking the D out here in the My chosen jersey you know, for this week. My chosen jersey of the week for this week. It's Riley Green. Riley, Riley Green. Green. Riley Green is currently batting Riley 279. Riley Green he is had three hitting 279. He has had three hits last year in 15 RBIs. He's got three homers this year in 15 RBIs. Riley Green, 
Get your heads up. Is my designated chosen Tigers jersey. Is my designated chosen See you guys. Tigers jersey. Hello, yeah, my good we're, friend. We're, we're, we're gonna, we're gonna, yeah, so we're going to, again, it's going to be a segment that's going to evolve in time. But uh, yeah, I was going to say, I asked him too. I'm like, just, he goes, what should I send over? I'm like, you collect jerseys. Tell us like, oh, you didn't. Yeah, there was, yeah, that, no, no, it's fine, Tyler. I was, I was curious about that too. That's my, yeah, that was my bad. I take responsibility for that though. But anyway, Detroit Dan, salt of the earth. He represents Tiger fans and out in Arizona. And again, the drinks. His Starbucks orders are legendary. So, see, Sedona, Arizona. But, he goes uh, to that. I know he's he's a frequenter of that. There's a, a Detroit cafe in Scottsdale. Yeah. Where, where they serve the Coney's and all the Detroit stuff and a lot of Tigers gear there. I've been I've been there once a few years ago. Pretty cool place. And I always love when Dan, he visits the northern lower peninsula and the upper peninsula every summer and posts his highlights. And it's a hell of a time to follow him and his wife along. Yeah, and especially I think it was in Flint this week, and uh, it was it was funny because he was just talking about some of the, there was an order like the, the chefs I forgot where it was, but uh, anywho, like I said, it's it's a it's a segment in progress. But uh, all right, so we have a couple questions in chat, and we got a couple questions line, and what should we go with first? Let's go with let's go here with Harrison in chat. Want to know if Cole Keep could make the bigs this year? No, no, only because a lot of things would have to happen for that to happen. If he used the if he if he goes like he until that game he was struggling in the month of May. But I personally personally no, I don't I don't think so. But stranger things have happened. And then the other question in the chat before we get to the Twitter questions from Joe: biggest off seeds off season season seeds? Wow. Biggest off-season needs, I would say myself. Or you guys go ahead, take this question over. I'll, I'll sit back. I, yeah, I would say offense, some some sort of offense. Because if you have Maggie coming off the books, you have Scope coming off the books. You could add a hitter, but then also you have Boyd and Lorenzen coming off the books as well. And then we don't know what's going to happen with Erod. So I think they would need a starter too. So I would say they're going to have money to spend. I like one or two, maybe a three-year deal. We saw Boyd got $10 million, right? Lorenzen got around that, too. Maybe they do a little bit higher. Maybe they give a pitcher a two-year $40 million deal, something like that, one-year $15 million deal, and then maybe a hitter for a two- or three-year deal around the same AAV. So I would say two impact players because they're going to have money to spend. I don't think they want to commit to anyone long-term, but they need some impact players. They need some veterans to help push this team forward for next year. I would say personally, obviously, a lot depends on what's, what does Scubo look like when he comes back. Do we see any of Casey Mize? Does, does Matt Manning appear and look like anything worth keeping around? That'll determine what they spend on pitching. But really, it comes down to what same thing I said last offseason, power. There's no power on this team. They, they need to find some impact bats, whether Torkelson develops into one or not. They still need more. There's also a good chance Javi Baez is playing his way into opting out because he's looking pretty good. How long can he keep that up? Really, it's going to come down to, I would hope they are shopping for power bats. I'd love to see what's available. Chris? Yeah, they're not a good team. They need everything. You, you need a front-line starter. You need a middle-of-the-order bat. You need 
but yeah, I don't, I don't know if those guys are out there in any real capacity. I would, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I guess I would prefer at this point a frontline starter just to feel like you can compete every fifth day. Like that feeling we have with Erod, right? I feel like when he's out there, he's going to have a chance to win. I miss that. The Tigers used to have that a lot of days. Yeah. I don't know, crazy four or five days out of five. And and it's a good feeling when you go, okay, maybe the offense has an off night, but we might only need two run, runs to win. So I would like that. Again, I don't know who was out there who could do that. Maybe they could trade for somebody, but that would be my priority. I would like a, you talk about the veteran side of things. I just would want a good, an outfielder with power. I, that, it's been on my wish list for the last four years. That's all I would simply want. So question-wise, Chris, did you get the questions or do you want me to get the questions? I saw two on on Twitter. I don't know if there were more since yeah. I looked. I got them right uh, here if you guys want me to. Go ahead, okay. go ahead and read them out, John. Okay, so from Epic D3CMSU, what is Parker Meadows and Colt Keith's potential in the MLB? Uh, Parker, I'm oh, sorry, go ahead, Chris. No, you, you go ahead, I was just going to say, I think Parker Meadows, who, first and foremost, I like to correct the mistake. On Sunday, I did say he was struggling against lefties. He's actually hitting better against lefties than last year. But his average against righties are down. But I I think Parker Meadows, because of his speed and his ability to cover so much ground in the outfield, I think as far as his potential, I think he could be a good third everyday player if he can continue to hammer the ball. But right now, I, I just based off what we're seeing right now, if he can develop into consistent at-bats, third out, maybe a fourth, I don't want to say fourth out, but that's, I don't know, an everyday regular, just slightly, maybe maybe a potential to be an all-star, potential. Cole Keith, oh, I think it looks like a potential all-star. He just, Mashes everything he does. It's just he's doing he's doing things at his age that a lot of players haven't done. Doesn't strike out a ton, and he's just he's he's hitting everything. And so it depends on where the Tigers want to put him. But I see Cole Keefe as a one of the first All Stars from the prospect side of things in a while. Yeah. So in terms of because we're all about the numbers, what kind of numbers like do you think they could put up like OPS wise, home run? And that, I I don't. I don't really do that. To me, it's just ingenuous because I can't, I could go and project, is he a 25, 30? I, I don't know. Honestly, I just know that if he's going to be a guy who's going to be above average hitter in major in the major leagues. OPS, I would, I don't know. It's just, Chris, is there a science behind that that I'm missing? Or No. So in, in, in my head, I just, okay, we're talking about potential. We're talking about ceiling, right? Yeah. We're not saying like the most likely outcome is probably some sort of Sp- specific numbers, right? Average regular. Two players that come to my mind who, who are similar. For Parker Meadows, I think of Dexter Fowler, who fits that mold of a average to above average regular who might be an all-star a season or two. And and with him, you're talking like a 750 OPS, maybe 850 in a great year while playing center field, which gets you an all-star bit. And like 15 to 20 home runs, 15 to 20 steals. Like that, that I think is Parker Meadows ceiling in the big league, which is, is fine if he's playing center field defense. And it was Colt Keith. He just kind of reminds me of the left-handed Austin Riley. Now, Austin Riley has had two, like a couple monster seasons, like damn near 40 home runs. I don't know if Keith will get there, but to me, he's that level of hitter where he, he could be a guy who's going to hit you 
250 to 280 with a lot of game power in his prime. And that's again, like all-star level talent. But again, this, I'm talking about the ceiling. Will he get there? I don't know, but I think that's, that's how I view those two guys. It's interesting. You, you brought up that player for Colt Keith. I was thinking in that 250, 2A hitter, steady guy with some power. I was thinking a left-handed Travis Fryman in my mind. That's how I see that possibly being. If he's that level of player, the Tigers would have a long-term regular who maybe is a three, three and a half, four player on a consistent basis. And that, that's an excellent player. Meadows, again, I'm going to base it on three games that I saw this week, but I've watched other games too. Is he a platoon guy? Maybe. Are there some limitations to his offense? I, I have a hunch there might be. Is he a two, two and a half, four player? I think that would be a pretty good outcome for him. Again, the reason why I'm why I'm not being specific on the numbers, simply put, I just think that if he comes up and hits above average, that's all I want. I just don't like I don't know. I just don't like guessing OPS. I don't know. Just yeah, I mean, he's gonna be a good you know, yeah, he hasn't had a, a great year in Toledo. He's got a couple home runs this week, which is nice to see. He's what twenty three triple A. I think he's relatively on on schedule and so i'm at a great spring yeah like i i think in his prime at his best he could be an all-star but probably more likely to be close to an average regular john go with the next question okay yeah so we got deadly ninja bees he says scope is obviously cooked but what about tyler alexander he's a human white flag right now i'd rather see mckinstry pitch I guess that's what Rogers left. <laughs> and then Dingler is Dingler's resurgence real? Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked about scope at length today. I think he, I think it's safe to say he is cooked. And obviously he's cooked. But as far as Tyler Alexander goes, he's on bide time too. Right now, if I, I don't think there's a solution right now, as of right now, in Toledo or Erie. But if there was one, but then again, they they they, they signed a bunch of arms for a reason. They signed. Sam Clay, Keith Embry, there's a reason why, because they're not clearly happy with something in the bullpen. That being Tyler Alexander. Is he on uh, options? I believe he... Let me double-check that. That's a good question. But yeah, I I think he's done. I, I don't... I love Tyler Alexander. I've been on a... For, for the Tigers got him in the second round. Yeah, he does have two options left. Uber, huh. So they, they could send him down if he wanted to. I feel like you know, historically what happens, Alexander struggles like this and somehow he gets a start and pitches fairly well for four innings and then figures things out in the bullpen. I don't know why, but he has been basically surpassed by Tyler Holton as like the go-to lefty for, for, for length in the bullpen. Yeah, but I, I don't, yeah, I don't think he's in danger of getting cut just yet. They don't really have a ton of better options, but he hasn't been good this year. There's no doubt about that, but I was just looking his, his FIP is almost exactly what it was last year. It's just been some more balls in play against them. So a robust 5.13 fit. Yeah. Yeah. Last year was 499, I think. So it's not great either way. But uh, yeah, I, I don't know. You got Engler and you got Holton filling that role of the long, the bulk guy now. So yeah, he's, he's found himself not pitching very much lately. So it wouldn't shock me actually if they did send him down to, to bring somebody else up for long. What about Matt Winsler in AAA? Is he a guy that could be called up? Yeah. I, I, he's done. He's been, he's pitched better as of late, but. It's almost like, I don't know if he's, how effective he would be up here. But then again, look, this is, 
we, we saw with Will Vest until totally, his velocity started coming back towards the end of Toledo. Let's be to be fair here, mm-hmm. but Mike Matt Whistler has been somewhat inconsistent. He there's times where he hits or he doesn't limits the damage, but there's sometimes he gets hit up pretty hard. So I don't know. Yeah, I, yeah, he's been pitching well down there, but yeah, and Miguel Diaz was pitching well until he I think he gave up six runs tonight. It it's it, you never know what's going on in the bullpen, red and white come up, but. Yeah, Whistler would be a guy they'd have to add to the forty man, but maybe, maybe he opts out June first. It may, might be something, so maybe they will bring him up soon. I wouldn't shock me too much, but that would require you know, like a forty man move. I don't know what else they could do now. They put Brisky on the sixty day to bring to sign Ellen. Yeah, the, which is an interesting name. It's one of those things you pay a ton of attention to the draft around draft time, and I remember him as being a top five rounder, and then I completely forgot him for five years. <laughs> but he, I guess he was with the Cardinals in the big leagues for a couple seasons, but I yeah. didn't even, it's, it's hard for me to pay attention to other teams, middle relievers. Yeah. But that's just, we've seen a lot of that under Scott Harris. They, they're going, these random people we didn't even know were on waivers and they suddenly are on the planet. I like, Hey, what? And uh, yeah. you know, so far th- those, those ones have been okay. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just looking at some numbers, he has a 0.089 ERA and 20 and a third innings pitch. So if, he is performing well, so I, that was just one guy I looked at. Yeah, there's yeah, and they have a couple other options too. They got those two guys from Tampa they signed. So they again, it was just a matter of time before June, I think be, beginning of June. We'll see how the series goes. The next two weeks are going to be very critical. Not critical, but I think they're going to be pivotal. Pivotal. That's the word I'm looking for. But as far as Dingle goes, you know what? I've been going back and forth about this question since I saw it earlier. And Dingler had a home run the other night and just continues to mash. He's in, he's in the ball hard. He's, he's got eight home runs. He leads a system in home runs. And the power he's been putting on is 11 strikeouts to 11, or excuse me, 21 strikeouts to 11 walks. Now that's somewhat healthy. That's healthier than what we're accustomed to seeing. Got thirteen percent walk rate, and he's just just striking out. I like to see the strikeouts just a little bit lower, not much, but I'm beggars can't be choosers. I'm not trying to be nitpicky, but as far as if he's legit, yeah, he got invited to camp for a reason. He has a Chris. You had that pick earlier, right? You were you post that clip. Did he did he did he pick off somebody at second earlier? Oh yeah, he had a yeah great throughout Robert Hassel nailed him. I struggle because one of the things is when you see Dylan Diggler good. You feel like he's an absolute all-star, and and it's as we saw him in West Michigan in the beginning of his pro career. We're like this dude is a dude, like he's really good. But I've, we've seen it so many times now, man, where he's just incredibly streaky. So I, I was looking up. He came off as we have down in Low A, came up to Bowie and went nuts that first week. Since then, he's hitting one sixty, one sixty with twelve strikeouts and four walks over eight games. Yeah, that's just I saw the game today. He, he struck out on three of three consecutive breaking balls in the dirt. Exact same pitch three times in a row, swung at all of them. And it's it's like we've seen that. We we were in in Erie once to watch him strike out four or five times in a game. It was a golden you got a golden Saburo, I believe it yeah, was. It was it was like for some reason sometimes he just he doesn't see the ball or his bat doesn't find the ball. So I'd love to believe that taking a step forward, I it's hard for me to until he can, can find some more consistency, it's hard for me to see. Like defensively, he's there. Like defensively, yeah. he, he calls a good game. He, he, look, you can tell this. 
since he got called up, Erie's been pitching better. There, there, yeah. There's no coincidence behind that. And simply put, because Crouch was struggling behind the plate to call the game and in framing, with Dingler up, the starters have performed immensely better, even the bullpen. And Billy Lesnar went out there and pitched a scoreless, scoreless inning the other night, which is a miracle because that team has been, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's bad. The bullpen has been bad. So I think he can commit. In terms of defensively, he's there. But it's a bat, like as Chris was mentioning earlier, there's some at bats from just like, what just happened? You just, it just, I don't know. But as far as defensively, he's the best catcher in the Tiger system defensively. Yeah, I, I, I'm convinced of that. It's the guy has a gun on. And somebody asked last week if he could play a different position. Why would you? Honestly, I'd rather have him stay behind it. The more I thought about it, I'm like, no, I'd just rather just take him behind the play. Yeah, and that's the thing that people still view him as, oh, he's going he's gonna to be, that's, I, I don't think he's going to be appreciably better than, than Haas and Rodgers as a big leaguer. He'll be a big leaguer because of that defense. But, but yeah, I, I just don't, the, the ability is certainly there. I just, the consistency is a tough thing. But we've seen it. Catchers take forever. Eric Haas was striking out like 35% of the time in AAA when the Tigers bought him. And he's managed to lower that in the big leagues, which is just stunning to me. <laughs> so yeah. there's there's still time for Dingler. I just, I, I, I don't think he's reached that level just yet. So the last question of the night comes from Tyler in chat. And I like this question a lot. Could the Tigers start focusing on developing relievers to be trade pieces? We've done a really good job of developing lately, Foley and Lang specifically. I like that. Here's here's the thing. Like I, if the Tigers decided, and I'll get, I'll get your thoughts about this for here in a second. I personally think that if they were, if they had another, if Brandon White becomes a guy, and let's say decide that they put Reese Olson in the bullpen, which I think to me ultimately serves as, I think Olson should be in the bullpen, and Uper would agree with that. Yep. And Chris, I think would agree with that too. If they can find a way to make those guys, or even Austin Bergner, who has been just pitching continuously, pitching well. Although I'm not, I haven't checked in with him in a bit, then yeah, I, I think they could find a way. The the trade for Malloy paid off immensely. Even with you can say what you will about Nick Maton struggling at the plate, but he, he's good defensively. There's a couple lapses the last couple of weeks, but nevertheless, the Tigers got some off uh, some players they definitely needed. Yeah, it's a fun idea because relievers always almost always tend to get you an outsized return yep. because you're just by the nature, you're trading a reliever to somebody who's trying to compete and win. And they're willing to part with a little bit more to give, get them to that next step, which is either another win or two to make the playoffs or being more of a compete, a competitor in the playoffs. Yeah. I, I just, yeah. it's tough to have these guys that finally have some success and they get rid of them. But it, I think you listen on everybody, right? If somebody gives you a good deal on Foley or Lang, yeah, you move on from him. For instance, a guy, and I'm forgetting who it is, but I, I follow him because he's a raised writer. Speculating that they're going to need some bullpen help, right? He oh, put it out there Let's that, say, hey, I'm sorry? Sandy Kathmere. Yeah. He was saying, he put it out there saying, would the Rays move Curtis Mead for a bullpen arm this year to go for the World Series? If, if if they were interested in, in a Alex Lang for someone like Curtis Meter, you plug in at second base next year and should be ready to hit. How do you not make that move? I'm not saying yep. 
Alex Lang is worth that guy. That's the kind of thing you got to be out there shopping for. Yeah, I think if you believe in Chris Fetter and you believe in Scott Harris's ability to find pitching talent, then I think the Tigers could have a pretty good thing going. We've obviously Tyler Holden pitch well, Mason English pitch well, and Jason Foley and Alex Lange are still pretty young. I have a lot of years left to control. You can get something pretty good for them. And like I said, if, if this is just like a, a factory line where Harris is trading these guys for young players that can help us, and then he just keeps developing young pitching, like we said with Malloy, I think this could be something not his calling card in a way, but this could be a way for him to really replenish the farm system and get some young talent in here. But then you also got to realize too, like what Harrison Harrison said in the chat, let's go get another starting pitch and dig in and go after it. At some point, if the Tigers are peeing for a division title, let's say in hypothetical world, they're two and a half back at the all-star or at the, at, at the trade deadline behind Minnesota. They're somehow keeping up with the twins. And that's a tough decision you got to make. So it's like you go, all right, but then you go over. The, you look over across the American League. Houston's back to regular form. Seattle's doing their thing, and it's all right. If we get to the playoffs, great. Our fans are happy, but at the same time, it's almost can they win the World Series? Yeah, you know, like that's those are the kind of questions that are coming up after. Yeah, you want to make the you want to be competitive, and I think that they're going to wait to the last possible minute until they just make these just kind of decisions. But know that they have the development in place for it. That is something that the Tigers never had a luxury for. And this, they have a luxury that most teams don't. It's going to be interesting if they play well enough to stay within the race for the Central. Again, go past Harris. Go to ownership. What does Illich want to do? Does he feel it's important for his reputation, for lack of a better word, to put a team out there that's trying to win this weak division? And that's going to mollify everybody who's monitoring what he does. Okay. Or are you trying to build a World Series winner? That's the ultimate goal. And winning a rinky-dink division isn't really a step in that direction. And I'm not saying either one is right or wrong, but it's going to be interesting to see what does Chris Illich really want to do? Where does he want to play in this franchise? If indeed he even cares. Yeah, you completely... Just read my mind because I was thinking like if they win the division, then they get three playoff games at Comerica Park, which I don't know how much of a factor that would be for Chris Illich, but you got to think that'd be a pretty big deal for him having those caliber of games all in your ballpark. But not to mention, too, you own the entire district of Detroit. And that just it goes sure. beyond Comerica Park. Too. Sure. The, the thing that I, in my head, I'm like, okay, if you're going for it and you're, you're giving a shot, then who are you trading? Who are you going to trade? You're not going to trade your relievers, probably. Are you trading? Is it Akil Badu? Kerry Carpenter? One of your younger outfielders to try to maybe get a it's a pitcher? I don't know. Well, I don't know who they will trade. It have to be someone like Parker Meadows, right? Yeah, I would think so, yeah. Or, or yeah, or Colt Keith or Justin Henry Malloy or Isaac Pacheco. I don't know if the Tigers are in the position to be wanting to part with any of their decent exactly. prospects. I think they could make small moves probably, but I don't know. It's tough. It, it would be, uh, it, would, it would be fun to have that be something to think about, but we're still. I would say uh, that. The big thing away. I would say, the big move would be not dealing Erod. And that would be, yeah, yeah we're going for it. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't move this guy. Yeah. I like what Tyler said too, which is I personally think it would be a poor decision to be too aggressive at the, with buying at the deadline, even if the Tigers contending division are they even close to contending in the league 
And that's how I feel about it. I, I just don't. Right now, look at Baltimore. Baltimore is an embarrassment of Baltimore is embarrassment of riches. You talked about Chris talked about Jackson Holiday. That's a system that's just again keeps getting better. Yankees are not going anywhere. Jays are going. Jays are very good, and Tampa's doing what they're doing. And then you go to the West. It's it's a gauntlet out there with the exception of Oakland, which is a AAA franchise, really. Yeah, there, there's also something to be said for just getting them in the tournament, right? Ah, right. Give it a shot. Who knows what could happen? They, the Tigers would not be nearly as talented as, as the other playoff teams, but you have Erod go out there, maybe shuts down the team on the, in game one. Who knows yeah. what could happen? But yeah, it's what could happen. Yeah. They, yeah. They, they, they've proven they can beat the Yankees. The Twins can't beat the Yankees. It's, it's, it's science, apparently. The Twins cannot beat <laughs> the Yankees. It's it's a proven fact. Yeah, I don't know, but so. Chris, you said like small moves. I was thinking like, I feel like this team is missing those bigger moves. Like, I feel like they're missing that frontline starter. So I think even if they were to make small moves, I feel like they already did that this offseason with like Veerling and Maytown and McKinstry. So I feel like it would have to be like a, a middle of the order impact batter, like a frontline starter that would really make a difference for this team. Did you say Ms. Kin- Ms. Kin- McKinstry was a big move? No, it was like small. No, no. Here's what I think. Like the Braves, that one year when they went out and got Soler and Duval. Adam, Rosario. Adam Duvall, yeah. And those weren't really on the surface big moves that were very expensive because all those guys were on the outs everywhere they were. But man, they all came in and kicked some ass. <laughs> they, they, yeah. they got lucky. Or maybe not lucky, but it all worked. Maybe you just get on a run with Scott Harris where he brought in the right three guys and that propelled yeah. them. To, to me, it's more like I don't think they have pieces to make big move, really. Yeah. I, it'd be something like some some team would look at Reese Olsen's pitch data and go, okay, he's sitting 95, he's got two 3,000 RPM breaking balls, he's got a plus change up, maybe we can figure this out. And so you get, like you said, a, a, an MLB outfielder for Reese Olsen. You could make a move like that. But I just, I don't think that... Yeah. I don't think you want to part with Colt Keith or Dustin Illinois or, or Parker Meadows, really, or Spencer Torkelson or Riley Green to try to make the team better. And, and I just don't know if they have the pieces beyond those guys to get anybody super impactful. Yeah. I'd I rather wait for the system to be a little deeper because the system is not that deep. It really isn't. And if you look, honestly, you, what, what, why you for this what? This is what? where I, and I, and again, love Lynn Henning, great guy, but the whole idea that you're supposed to develop all of these kids, all these prospects, and have them ready, and then we're going to bring in all these veterans that they're going to be available, and we're going to build this team. Man, if they had a couple of guys that they could have went out and got over the winter and had them in place, now you can make a realistic argument how they could win this week division and maybe make some damage in the playoffs. But the, the, the whole pecking order of God develop all these kids first, and then we'll spend some money no, no, I look, look, I'm, I don't buy it. Between, the difference between you, between myself and Henning is simple. I know the system's not that deep. If the Tigers were able to, able to get some, they, they should have gotten some more bats. I'm with you. Like they should have yeah. done something in the offseason, knowing full well the system's not deep. I'm not, it's, I love Lynn Henning. He's a great writer. I do too. Fantastic person. But you were trying to sell me on Cody Clemens, knowing full well that what I saw down there wasn't, Gonna be a guy that was a regular contributor. Sorry. So to me, it's if I'm too cynical about the system. So be it. But they have some. They have some for the first time. The Tigers have some legitimate players. They're still a couple of years away. So what you do, you fill 
you find a way to fill the void until then. It's not, and I think Scott Harris is doing that. At least he's trying to use that because Avila, the one thing about Avila was is that he had all these prospects. There wasn't a lot of lateral movement because they didn't have anybody. But then even the guys they signed, like Chase Anderson and these pitchers, they signed him and then never did any of them. Or talked about Trace Thompson earlier. He never got an opportunity. But then again, that's the thing that's demanding. At least they're, they're signing guys going, okay, you know what? This guy, all right, has some sort of track record. Bring him up. The one thing I would add, though, to like the the trade deadline and going for it, you look at the market. I don't really know if there's going to be that many impact players even on this market. Like you look at the teams in the AL, pretty much everyone outside of the AL Central is trying to compete. And I don't really know if a team like the Royals or the White Sox is going to make a trade with the Tigers. And like you look at like impact starting pitchers, the Tigers probably have the best starting pitcher that's going to be on the market in Eduardo Rodriguez. So I just don't know. I don't think it's going to be a buyer's market. I think it's going to be a seller's market, which plays into the fact that they probably were, are going to trade a Water Rodriguez because they should be able to get something pretty good for him. You know what? Here's a guy. Here's a guy you could get at a trade deadline. Brett Rooker from Oakland. He's a guy yeah. that was just a. He wasn't a dude. He was just a, a cast off. He's having a good year. Oakland is not going to pay him. Well, I don't know what the hell Oakland's doing. We know what Oakland's doing, which is a whole lot of nothing. But then you have Ramon Lazarado out there. Yeah, that's and that's the guy, yeah. And I was going to say, yeah, and, and we're all on the same page. His numbers are not good right now, but he has an OPS plus over 102. That will do. And that's a guy that, but he was also going to be in great demand too. He's a guy that the teams are going to seek after. Oakland is going to sell anything they can that is not bolted out. There's Amanis Diaz who's also a veteran. He's a guy who can play multiple positions. His batting average is not good, but he's a guy that's there. You have the great Tony Kemp. I'm just saying that sarcastically, but there's, there's a couple, they have some guys there. They're going to move because Oakland's going to save money. They're, wait, you're, you're eligible for a race? Screw you. You're gone. I, I just, they're going to probably do, yeah, like the small moves. And Dan Fernandez, amen, bro. And he said this here, I don't see the Tigers making high profile deals. We'll probably see a Johnny Peralta type move, if anything. I would take another Johnny Peralta. I would take a I, hey. By all remember me. who they remember who they traded for Johnny Peralta? Giovanni Soto. That's right. You really that's correct. I'll give you five plates. Not the but the well, other like, Giovanni Soto, not the catcher. Oh left-handed finger. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you you get a definitely you know what? No, you get this. This this is what you get. Exquisite. But as I as I'm pretty sure with Peralta, not only did they trade for him, but, but then they had to sign him. I think they signed him to a was it yeah. a two year deal, and then they re-signed him to three hundred something like that. But yeah, you know, it, it turns out that that Dave Dombrowski was pretty good at making trades. He so was. We can hope we can hope that 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 Scott Harris is, is most of that good. Early returns not so great. I don't think the Tigers are necessarily missing Gregory Soto, but they kind of really haven't done a whole lot lately that makes the team look better. But there's still time. The Rockies are going to be. The Rockies are going to do something stupid. They're probably going to keep everybody because they believe that they, they yeah. do. Yeah, yeah they, no, exactly. they won't. They won't turn anybody. No, they won't. Yeah. They won't. Yeah, it's hard to figure. Like right now, it's just it's tough to know who's going to really suck over the next yeah. thirty games or something like that. It could could be the Pirates. Uh, it's John's wishes. The Pirates go straight downhill, and suddenly they're trading. I don't know, Brian Reynolds after they reside. Yeah, I, I, there's but, one guy in the Rockies who I don't understand why they've never traded him, and that's Herman Marquez. Marquez, yeah. that guy, the guy could have been traded for a bunch of prospects, and then, or the, but Colorado's, I have no idea what they're doing. What a joke. Anyway, so 
we're out of time. Thank you so much for tuning in tonight on YouTube. If not, thank you for listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, where you listen to your podcast. And please leave us a five-star review if you'd like or a four-star review. And we appreciate that. Again, if you want to give us a one-star review and say we're bashing Torkelson too much, you're also it's your God-given. I'll wear it. I'll wear that one. I think you're, yeah, I think you haven't listened enough. And no, but again, we'll be back on Sunday evening after the Tigers play the Nationals or either Sunday or Monday. I, I bet the depends on how the minor league podcast will go. More likely early Monday, but uh, we'll figure it out. Let's do. And uh, John, any, anybody else have any parting words before we get out of here? Thank you to Harrison for the $5. Yes. Thank you again, yeah, Harrison. Much appreciate it. And uh, John, you want to plug your podcast? It hasn't started yet, so <laughs> nothing to plug yet. <laughs> what's the name going to be? Yeah, what's it's the called? It's called Pistons Territory. So a backstory, when I was in high school, I met some people on Twitter and we started our own blog. It was called Pistons Territory. And mm-hmm. so I basically reviving that and it's now my own. All right. Pistons, Pistons Territory. It's part of their nice. network of things that are growing. I, I w- would you consider it part of the Motor City Metrics Sure, yeah. Yeah, family of shows. For basketball, it's the Motor City Metrics. (laughs) Wow. All right, I gotta go. I'll see you guys Thank you, Christopher, for the kind words. And there is, so one thing I want to announce real quick too before I forget is I have an idea that I've been wanting to do for a while that we just have not had an opportunity to because life, but I used to do a pop culture podcast called Over Under Fair, and I miss doing it a lot. And my friends, I did it with, life happens. But we're going to be coming out with a podcast. I'm working on a podcast idea right now with Chris. We're still fine-tuning it. And it's going to be on the Motor City Metrics channel. And I'm going to debut the logo here real quick. So it's a it's a simple, it's, I don't know, it's a cool name. And I thought it would be cool to share. Let's see if I can just get the, oh, crap. Never mind. No, no, no. I got it. Hold on. I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm stumbling and bumbling here. Try to get it up. This is bad. Why show like this is if somebody was like listening to the show right now, they're like, what, what was going on with this guy? But no, it's I love baseball, as obviously, as everybody knows, but I also love music. I love movies. I love there's a lot of things we all love. And so I thought I'd be a good idea to combine the two and create a show that is called Pop Fly Culture. Pop yeah, mining baseball in a and uh, pop culture and fly it. So there you go. Let me see. The, here's the logo here. Yeah. Um, working on the concept. So the idea would be, for example, 19, like an idea I came up with. So we take a year, like 1993, when the Chicago White Sox made the ALCS and lost to the Jays. And it was the same year that Smashing Pumpkin Siamese Dream came out. Or something. It could be rap. It could be, it could be anything. A movie. And it's based off a year or place and time in baseball. And like it's in, but yeah, we'll, we're going to try it out and see how it works and probably come out in the next couple of weeks. But we're looking for, but yeah, there'll be some cool topics along the way. Thanks really? so much for listening. And we'll talk to, we'll talk to you guys this weekend.